You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Matthew 13, we're going to begin in verses 10 through 17, and then we'll end with verses 34 and 35. I've thought of analogies on how to introduce this sermon and this text. The closest or the best I can come up with is if you've taken up, if you've taken off out of John Wayne Airport, the 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 pilot usually comes on and says, This is gonna feel different than most airports, where you, you come out and he just accelerates up and then cuts the engine way back so that the millionaires on the beach don't get disrupted by the sound. Uh, this sermon's going to feel a bit like that. We're going to come out of the runway really fast, and then we're going to we're going to cut the engines, and we're actually going to going to land pretty quick as well. And I think you'll see why as we read the text, beginning in verse ten, Matthew thirteen, verse ten. Then the disciples came and said to him, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" And he answered them, "To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven." But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he, who ha- and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Or their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed, verse 16, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now in verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Beloved, this is God's word. Please be seated. Of course, as we've just read, we are beginning, or we're continuing rather, in our study of the gospel of Matthew this morning, and we are beginning now to look at this great chapter, chapter 13 in Matthew's gospel. Chapter 13 is a unique chapter. It is different. It's a unique chapter in in Matthew's gospel in that Matthew has grouped together a series of seven parables that he sort of smashed all together in this one chapter, um, almost like rapid fire, one after another. It is parable after parable. In fact, some have even called this chapter, chapter 13, the Sermon of Parables. We've heard the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, And this is often referred to as the Sermon of Parables. 
you'll notice that we began our time in chapter 13 with verses 10 through 17 instead of beginning where we normally would with uh, verse 1. You should know that we have zero intention to skip over verses 1 through 9. We'll come back to them next week. But the reason for this is strategic. The reason we're beginning in verse 10 is strategic because in verses 10 through 17, Jesus gives his his disciples an answer to their question as to why he speaks in parables. He gives them the purpose of parables. And so we thought it would be instructive for us to hear Jesus share the purpose, the meaning, the the why behind the what before we move through these parables in successive order. And so this morning, this sermon will be more of an introduction to the parables of Christ, and then next week we'll begin with the first parable beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. Before we move forward, we have to answer the question. We can't assume these kinds of things. What is a parable? What is a parable? Most of us have an idea of what that is. We've maybe heard Christ's parables, but what is technically a parable? Well, the word parable is two Greek words, actually, that have been smashed together. Uh, Parable, the first is para. We've heard that like a a parachurch uh, ministry is a ministry that comes alongside the local church. Or the paraclete, the name for the Holy Spirit who comes alongside the believer in their walk with Jesus. So para, para, means to come alongside something. So when we're thinking of a, of a parable, first we're thinking of something that comes alongside. And then bole in the, in the Greek means to throw or to cast something. So technically then, a parable is a teaching that is thrown alongside another teaching. It is a teaching that's thrown alongside another teaching for the purpose of enhancing the meaning, for the purpose of illumination and understanding. And we're all familiar with this almost on a daily basis. Uh, The greatest communicators in the world will almost always use some form of illustration to drive home the point of their arguments. A metaphor, a story, an allegory to highlight the meaning of their original idea or teaching. An example of this would be trusting in morality to save you is like trusting in dental floss to stop a bullet train. Right? It's, it's, a, it's something that comes alongside a statement. We all think dental floss in no way could stop a, a train. Well, banking on moralism to save you is like that. So a parable is thrown alongside a statement of truth to illuminate its meaning. And Jesus was a master at the use of parables. He's the greatest teacher who ever lived. Now, parables did not begin with Christ, but the parable was perfected by Christ. And he used parables often. In fact, 35% of his entire teaching ministry is, is a use of, or he used parables. 35%, one third of his teaching. But Jesus is unique. He's unique in a myriad of ways, but also in his use of parables because, listen, in Jesus' use of parables, his use of parables came in dynamic form, meaning his parables had more than one purpose or more than, they're doing more than one thing at a time. Here's what I mean. In our text this morning, the the text that we have just read, Jesus shares with his disciples in private. He pulls them aside, and they're in private and having this conversation. 
and he reveals to his disciples why, the purpose of his use of parables. And he says that he uses parables both to reveal truths about himself and the kingdom of heaven, and he uses parables to conceal truths about himself and the kingdom of heaven. And oftentimes, remarkably, almost mysteriously, Christ will use the same parable both to reveal and to conceal at the same time. Jesus' parables both reveal truth and conceal truth. Well, you might say, why on earth, why on earth would Jesus ever want to conceal truth from anyone? After all, isn't he, didn't he come to bring enlightenment? Didn't he come as the light of the world to shed light on everything? Indeed, he did. But as Spurgeon once wrote, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. See, Jesus knew that there was some in his audience who could not see who he really was because they refused to see who he really was. And therefore, his parable serves as a judgment against them. They could not see because they would not see. They couldn't understand him because they had refused to see who he really was. And so Jesus' parables serve as a judgment and not a grace. The same is true today. Some today cannot hear Jesus because they will not hear him. They've already decided not to hear them. And though they have ears, they cannot understand. And so Jesus' parables reveal truth and conceal truth. And so that is really going to be our sermon outline this morning. Just two points this morning. To reveal truths and to conceal truth. His parables do. Let me begin with the, the latter. First, Jesus' parables serve to conceal truth. Look at verses 13 and following once again. Jesus says in verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. Look at verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And, their, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. There is a sense in which we have all experienced what Jesus is communicating here in our everyday lives. Especially if we're in conflict with somebody and you're in a heated argument with someone, and your passions are all worked up, you're all riled up, and you're, you're in an argument, it doesn't matter. You've experienced this. It doesn't matter how logical the other person is. It doesn't matter how rational or, or, or clear their words may be. We may be hearing them, but we are not what? Listening. 
How many times have you said that, parents, to your kids? I know you're hearing me, but you're not listening. Why? Is it because when we get into moments like that, that we, we lack ears, we don't have ears, we can no longer hear? Of course not. We're not listening because we don't want to listen. We don't want to listen. There's a desire embedded in our hearts to not listen. Though we hear, we're not listening. We've already concluded, in other words, we've already concluded in our hearts that a different outcome would be better. So it doesn't matter how clear the argument from the other side is coming. We don't want to hear it, therefore we don't listen. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That there are those who cannot see and hear because they've already concluded in their hearts that a different outcome would be better. They've already concluded in their hearts the narrative that they think Jesus should follow. And when Jesus confuses that narrative, they don't have ears for it. It doesn't agree with what they've already predisposed in their heart to believe. And therefore, the parables of Christ act to conceal rather than reveal. They are a judgment against the hearer. Notice again the reason why they can't see and hear. Let's underscore this point. Again, it isn't because they lack eyes. It isn't because they lack ears. No, they have both. But instead, Jesus brings up Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, for this central reason, they can't see me and can't hear me. And so we need to pay attention when Jesus pulls up the reasons why we need to lean in and discover, and this is what he says, the central problem is the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It always is with Jesus. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Verse 15, Jesus says, for this people's heart has grown full. Or dull, rather. This people's heart has grown dull. Actually, a better translation, surprisingly, is this. This people's heart has grown fat. The Greek word there is, is pakuno, which, which means that it's grown fat or thick. Their heart is too full. Meaning they cannot perceive the word of Christ because there is no room in their heart to perceive it. They're too full to be filled. Their hearts are capped off. They're stuffed full of the cares of this world. And so they have eyes to see and ears to hear, but their hearts are blocked. Their hearts are preoccupied with the cares of this world. And if they find themselves, as we do this morning, find themselves around Christ and his word, it's not Christ that they desire. It's the potential stuff that he can provide. For them, Jesus is a means to a different end. For them, Jesus is a means to a different end. Their hearts are fattened with the cares of this world, and therefore they cannot understand what on earth he is saying because they don't want to understand what on earth he is saying. And so as a form of judgment... Listen, Jesus is simply giving them what they already want, which is not him. I think it was C.S. Lewis, and I, I think O'Donnell in his commentary brought this C.S. Lewis quote to mind. 
He says there are two kinds of people in the world, only two. The first says to God, God, thy will be done. And the second person, God says to them, thy will be done. It is a remarkable, tragic form of judgment for God in Christ to give you what you want. If what you want is not him. Friends, before we move on, Christianity will be one big confusing riddle if Jesus Christ is not at the center of our religious affection. It will be one big unsolvable puzzle if Jesus is not at the center of our religious affection. Not only will the parables be confusing, but the entire Bible will be a disappointment for you. Because the Bible, surprisingly in our culture, the Bible is not about 12 ways for a more fulfilled life. The Bible is not about 10 healthy steps toward healthy living. It's not six ways to become richer than Solomon. No, the central revelation of the Bible is Jesus Christ in his saving gospel. It is the central mystery revealed. And not only is it the central revelation of the Bible, but it's also our only hope for a satisfied life. If you are using Jesus as a means to a different end, you will be confused by the Bible. It will disappoint you at every turn because that's not its aim. Its aim for you and me is to give us a glorious beholding of the Son of God who has condescended to his people and has taken on their sins, has taken on their sin and shame on the cross and rose again. And so for those whose hearts are fattened by the cares of this world, Jesus says the parables will conceal. That's the judgment. They will just give you what you already wanted, which was not him. However, in our second point, for those who want to see Christ as the main revelation of God, the parables reveal. They don't hide. They reveal truth about Christ and his kingdom. And so this is our second and final point. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now remember the context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples privately. We don't know the exact context, but we know that it's in private. And he says to them, think about the encouragement that this must have brought his disciples. He says to them, your eyes and ears are seeing and hearing something that the prophets of old long to see and hear. Isaiah, and we think about this, we could just move through all of redemptive history, but Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, the suffering servant, but Isaiah never got to see him. 
The prophet Jeremiah weeped and lamented and prophesied about a new covenant that was coming, a covenant that would be written on the tablets of heart and flesh and not just stone, but Jeremiah didn't get to see it. But to his disciples, Jesus says, you are seeing and hearing what the prophets and the faithful ones long to see and hear. What a privilege, what a privilege to know that Christ is the central revelation of the Bible. Unless their hearts be tempted to be prideful because of this great revelation, like Paul, remember he says in 2 Corinthians 12, he had great revelations in the third heaven when he was caught up. Unless he become conceited because of the great revelation, God sent him a thorn in the flesh. And so Jesus says, or alludes that unless they become prideful, this great revelation, we must always remember in the disciples then and disciples now, we must always remember what caused us and them to be able to see this great revelation. Remember what Jesus said back in verse 10 of the same text in 11. They said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In other words, to see and hear Christ for who he actually is as not a genie in the bottle or a means to another end, to see and hear Christ for who he really is and to follow him as Lord and Savior in your life, it is a pure gift of God. To you, it has been given, not earned, given. And in a single sentence... In a single sentence, Jesus puts his finger, doesn't he, on one of the central conundrums in Christian theology. And that is the tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. If we've ever argued about one thing the most, it is the relationship between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. To you it has been given to know the secrets, and to them it has not been given. And remember, just in our previous verses, Jesus just indicted the hearts of those who cannot see because they will not see. Jesus in no way gives them a pass, but sees them as morally responsible for their rejection of Christ. You cannot see because you will not see. And therefore, they are responsible for their behavior. But now, Jesus says to those who can see that they can only see because they've been given the ability to see by the sovereign will of God. To you, it has been given. So which is it, Christ? Which is it? Is God totally sovereign and in control of all things and all who will be able to see and hear Christ? Or in the end, is man somehow responsible for his reception or rejection of Christ and his offer of salvation? And without hesitation, the answer that Christ gives in this section is a resounding yes to both. Yes, God is sovereign 
over all who will see and hear Christ as the central revelation of the Bible. God is sovereign. He gives that revelation. And yes, human beings are responsible for their reception or rejection of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this. I was talking with the elders about it this morning. We don't know in our human brains, I don't care how loud we get, we, it is impossible for us to see where those lines intersect. God's sovereignty in our responsibility. We can try, but Jesus seems to know perfectly well where those lines intersect. And he doesn't theologize here. He doesn't build out for us a theology of election or a theology of salvation. He just says the thing. (laughs) And it's mind-blowing how Jesus doesn't really theologize. Paul the apostle will. Peter, James, and, and John, and all the writers of the New Testament will try to give us helpful categories to think about how God is acting through Christ. But Jesus doesn't theologize. Why? Because he's the living word of God. He doesn't produce theology. He is theology. And so we're all sort of making sense of these things that Jesus just says. To you it has been given to see. To you it's been given to see. To them they haven't. And they're responsible for their rejection. How is that possible? It just is. And of course you can't know And you can't see, you can't hear with mere ears and mere eyes. That's the point. Perception, spiritual perception requires more than mere eyes and mere ears. To know Christ in this way is to receive a new heart. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied about a new heart. The heart of stone would be taken out and a heart of flesh would be given. And God would breathe his very spirit on that heart of flesh so that we could actually know and actually perceive. I admire the apologists that are making rational arguments for the Christian faith. There are many rational arguments to be made. We have a reasonable faith. But at the end of the day, unless God grants a heart to perceive, a heart to hear, a heart to understand. It doesn't matter the comprehensive argument of the cosmological argument of the existence. It doesn't matter. It's going to be really interesting, maybe compelling, but it can't convert. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. We need hearts that are humbled, by the grace of God, humbled. Too many of us in the church are become proud because of what we know. That's the opposite posture. I I didn't plan on saying this, but I I have to say this. Uh, Tim Keller died uh, yesterday, two days ago. And whatever you think of him, he has done such a remarkable job at communicating hard truths in ways that is winsome and humble. I think we can learn from his public example of how to, 
how to take the gospel that is saying some radical things to a culture that doesn't agree with it and to be winsome and gentle and clear at the same time. We need hearts that are humble. We need hearts that are convinced that our only need, our only help comes from Jesus Christ. We need hearts that are persuaded that satisfaction can only come through a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the question before we get into the parables next week is do you want that? Don't come to the parables of the Bible and saying, I just need to figure it out. Ask the question first, do I want to know? Do I want to follow him? Is that the desire of my life? If so, then sight will follow. And to these, those who desire this heart, Jesus says, these parables will not conceal, they will reveal. It will not be a judgment, it will be a grace to you. So, as we move through these parables from Christ in the coming weeks, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, may our hearts be encouraged and knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May God grant us eyes to see and ears to hear the mystery of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we prayed before the sermon and now we end where we began a great need to see and perceive. And apart from your illuminating grace in our hearts, we can't, we cannot see. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd move in our hearts this morning and those visiting perhaps, that you'd move in their hearts a desire to see Christ as he, he, as he really is. To not in our hearts produce outcomes already before we come to Christ, but instead to come open and soft and humble that we might see and we might hear and we might follow him all the days of our life. In Christ's good name, amen.